What's up, everyone? It's 420. So today when everyone smokes a lot of marijuana. Uh, today is the promotional malpractice live chat as well. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Luke Thomas, and um, this should be a fun one. This should be an interesting one. So there is, I mean, to say there's a lot going on in the sport would be a massive understatement, right? So the three biggest things, it seems to me, Conor McGregor, quote unquote, retiring from mixed martial arts in the UFC. We'll talk about that. Uh, can't forget Saturday is the return of John Jones. Wow, UFC 197. We'll talk about that as well. I mean, does anyone care about John Jones's parking tickets right now? Crazy, right? Uh, and uh, well, not parking tickets, but you know, uh, driving infractions, let's say. And then third, but you know, it's an important story too. Uh, Benson Henderson makes his Bellator debut on Friday night on Spike TV. So. Um, a lot going on in the sport. Wow, what a busy time. So thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. We'll go for about 90 minutes or so. I got started a little bit late because, as you can see, I'm even still sweating. I had to shower. and I got a thousand things going on. The second this live chat is over, I'm getting on a bird and going to uh, Las Vegas. So um, this is a crazy time for me and for everyone else. Okay, best place to get your questions in is going to be at MMAfighting.com. Comments that turn green get priority but not exclusivity. You can get at me on Twitter, at SBN Luke Thomas. You can get at me on Snapchat. I'm adding that in now. The Luke Thomas 79 Can't guarantee a response, but if you have snapped me, there's almost a 100% chance I've responded. So um, appreciate everyone who does that. When I'll, be doing a, I'll be doing a ton of snapping when we get to Las Vegas. So that should be a lot of fun as well. Okay, without further ado, let's just go ahead and get right down to it, shall we? This should be interesting. As you can see, hashtag haircut gains. It's a good haircut, is it not? Yes, it is. All right. I can only imagine what the first question is going to be. All right, let's do this. All right, Luke. Connor versus the UFC. Luke, is this a chess match between Connor and the UFC, more so a case of money, ego, and power, or... Do you really believe that the Carvalho situation and media obligations is the reason behind their current rift? Um, the two are not mutually exclusive, but anyway, keep going. Personally, I believe the latter two may have played a part, but that it's primarily a monetary and ego issue. Either that or maybe McGregor suffered an injury that he's not willing to reveal. I sincerely doubt that. Or maybe it's just a PR smokescreen to drum up more PR and attention for UFC 200. I also seriously doubt that. I mean, do they need to drum up more attention for that one? I mean, th that thing was going to sell bonkers amount of pay-per-views without this. Uh, although this certainly doesn't hurt it, but you get the idea. Assuming it's not a PR smokescreen, and I shall, do you believe the two sides will reconcile soon enough and Connor will be back in time for UFC 200? So I actually did a radio interview about this earlier today. My thought about UFC 200 is that it's very unlikely you'll see McGregor on there. Um, in 2016... I think there's a you know a, a decent chance, and I think in 2017, a, a, almost a certain a certainty that he'll be there. Um, of course, we're all just sort of guessing here, but um, but yeah, that's sort of my guess. So let's let's talk about this, right? It's the most important story in the sport right now. One of the more important stories in sports right now. Um, and by the way, it's been a big thing I've talked about. I just want to say I've seen a lot more Brett Akamoto on SportsCenter. Now that's something he's been doing for a while. But I'm glad to see they've got the right people talking about the right issues. Um, I like Ramona Shelburne, but she has no business talking about MMA. So uh, good to see Brett Akimoto on SportsCenter. So salute to Brett Akimoto, who's doing a really bang-up job and who must have the world's fastest internet connection at his home because every time he Skypes into SportsCenter, it is the most crystal clear picture I've ever seen in my life. All right, neither here nor there. 
So what is happening here? Well, um, as you know, I spoke to Ariel Helwani last night. We put out a video about it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Ariel has a ton of good nuggets. And his basic sense of things is that, um, you know, it's a couple of things. One, McGregor is in Iceland. He's training. It's a lot to just interrupt training camp to go over and do promotional stuff. Two, um, you know, they just witnessed a death in their country almost firsthand. Uh, he's not necessarily in the mood to do a bunch of uh, mean mugging and PR stuff at the UFC's beck and call. And three, I think you could also surmise that, um, you know, could there be monetary issues in play? I've seen some people reporting it. I, I saw some woman I, whose name escapes me now who I've not heard of. She's verified on Twitter, but um, look, I'm not saying she's wrong. I'm not in a position to say that, but I would trust Ariel's reporting before anyone's on this particular issue or, in fact, just about any issue, but definitely this one. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, we can even throw in that there might be some other underlying issues related to money or some kind of compensation, right? We can say that, that that's not a divorceable thing from the conversation. Maybe, in fact, I'm speculating here, but maybe it could be a situation where McGregor said, you know, if you want me to come and do these PR things, you got to pay me to do it. And they were like, you know, go pound sand. So that seems to be what's happening here is that whatever the case of the reasons, the UFC is saying, look, you have a contract, you have an agreement you signed. And per the terms of this agreement, you said you do certain things. And McGregor is probably saying, I have X, Y, Z reasons for why I don't want to do this. Some of them you may find valid. Some of them you may find invalid. Um, that's up to you. But what he's probably saying is, look, uh, I saved your ass at UFC 196. I saved your ass at UFC 190. Excuse me, UFC 189. I made a ton of money for UFC 194 and virtually every other card he's been on for the most part. Um, I did the ultimate fighter when I didn't want to, you know, again, he got paid for all these opportunities, but nevertheless, he could have turned down both 189 and 196. He didn't have to take those fights. You know, he did do them a solid in that regard. And I think McGregor, again, he doesn't view himself, you know, he might be legally or technically an independent contractor. I don't think he views himself that way. He's been quite explicit. He is loyal to the UFC. It's not that he is, even if he could, it's not that he's threatening to go to Bellator or something like that. But what he is saying is he sees himself as a partner. Okay, and the UFC is saying, look, man, we've been promoting this card since last July, literally since last July. Um, we have reduced the number of pay-per-views in that 12-month window. Um, certainly, he has been a contributing factor to the success of the ones that have been there and the ones he's been on. But, you know, we have to collect assets for this. These, these events don't promote themselves. And you might say, well, that's not true, but the UFC certainly got their own view of things. And it's not crazy to say, hey, look, we need you to participate in um, some of these pre-fight promotional things. And and as a matter of fact, we're not interrupting like the beginning of your camp. It's it's not even May, right? Um, it's still mid-late April. Uh, you have plenty of time to uh, get back to what you were doing. Although, you know, Iceland to Vegas is not an insignificant flight. But more than that, who has, who is pointing to a legal document about what is owed? It's the UFC, right? And I th I feel like, um, number one, there's no way to talk about McGregor without pissing off somebody. Either you praise McGregor and um, the people who he polarizes on the negative end, and I wouldn't call him polarizing in a John Jones way. Most people like him and he has a huge fan base, but there are some people he rubs the wrong way. If you praise McGregor, it is inevitable that the people who don't like him will accuse you of any number of um, journalistic shortcomings and personal character failings. It's just, it's just, you know, it comes with the territory. And if you criticize him, well, there you go. You run up uh, against people who tweet TJ Dillashaw um, pictures of snakes, 
or uh, you know emojis of snakes. You know, this is this is you have to pick your poison in terms of who you want to piss off here. I'd like to split the difference, right? That's what I think I'd like to do here because um, it seems to me that what McGregor is saying, or what we know him to be saying, what we what, what's been reported that what he might be thinking seems entirely reasonable. Seems entirely reasonable. He lost his last fight in a very public way. Uh, he took it on short notice. Now, Diaz took it on even more short notice, but okay. McGregor had a full camp, but that wasn't who he was preparing for, and that wasn't the weight he was preparing for, and um, just things didn't go right. And he really wants to right the ship. Um, I find that entirely reasonable. Moreover, as I mentioned, Vegas, uh, Iceland to Vegas is not an insignificant flight. It's not an insignificant amount of time. Um, maybe he's just not up for it. And in fact, if things that were rep reported are true, and I am entirely inclined to believe that they are, that this Carvalho thing has sort of put him in a bit of a funk in terms of getting out there and putting a show on for the cameras, that also to me seems entirely reasonable. These are entirely reasonable things to, to assume. Moreover, for him to say, look, I'm one of your, if not your most important cash cow, number two at worst, at worst, I'm number two, probably number one, right? I mean, look at the amount of retweets his retirement post got, uh, or, you know, retirement tweet anyway, you know, over, what was it, 160,000 by now? Something astronomically high for uh, any kind of athlete. And so, um, so it seems to me like in trying to assess the validity of his claims, that carries weight. But if I just want to play devil's advocate for a moment, and you guys know me, I'm a big believer in athletes' rights. Here's the critical mistake I think he's making. Or actually, there's a couple of critical mistakes I think he's making. And Chael Sonnen talked a little bit about this. And I don't entirely agree with Chael's analysis, but I think he's on to something. You know, if you've been covering the sport long enough and you live through a lot of guys quitting on the UFC or battling with the UFC or, in the case of Randy Couture, taking the UFC to court, um, you get a sense for how these things typically go. And the fact of the matter is, you know, we haven't seen all the documentation that he signed, but presumably there's about agreement in place, right? And he's got other obligations he's already assigned to um, by having a general UFC contract and also by being a, a, a champion. Um, I don't know what kind of wiggle room he's really got here legally. You know, he can retire because if he doesn't do the things that he says he's going to do in that contract, uh, he's in breach of the contract. The only way to get around that is to retire. So that's not great. But the critical error here that I think he's making is everyone has told me McGregor should get a bigger piece of the pie for what uh, the revenue he generates on events. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I mean, he's paid a healthy sum already. I'm sure whatever he's getting is not enough, quite frankly. Um, I agree with that entirely. And people have said he's got a ton of leverage, right? Like no matter who you plug in um, at UFC 200, it'll be less than what McGregor draws. No argument. 100% true. I don't know who could possibly argue with that. You could put in Rousey, maybe, and that might do it, but you know that just seems deeply unrealistic. Of all the realistic choices, there ain't nobody who's going to touch what he can do. But the failing of the of the the strategy here to me um, is that look in the end, do I think that the parties will come to an agreement? I do, and in the end, do I believe that Conor McGregor might get a new contract or some kind of concessions that he's asking for? Something in that in that vein, uh, I do. Uh, you recall, even when Couture took UFC to court, he ultimately returned, and when he returned, he returned to a new deal. Um, was that new deal drastically different than the last one? Probably not, but it probably also included some concessions that he was looking for, some things to sweeten the pot to get him to go back. 
uh, you know, um, absent the fact that it looked like he had a legal path to nowhere. But he didn't have to come out of retirement. He could have just stayed gone. Um, but the truth of the matter is no one really wins in that scenario, right? Like if Conor McGregor sits on the shelf and the UFC doesn't budge, who wins? UFC could say, well, we're not taking a hit as much as people think we are. You know, we can plug in John Jones versus Daniel Cormier, UFC 200. That's not the same, but that's no, nothing to sneeze at. No one's bigger than us. No one fighter's bigger than us. And they'll just move on. That's, but but they don't win. Conor McGregor can say, look, I've got, you know, tens of millions in the bank. Um, I've got a good guy who's going to, you know, I've been spending a lot, but I've got a financial advisor. This is not going to change. Uh, I'm not going to budge either. Okay, but he doesn't win. Like, like when what what did, what did you win if you do that? You, you you had to retire because you didn't get what you wanted. Um, that's not a win. That's you, you know you can quantify how much of a loss it is, but it's not a win. And it certainly isn't the consumers, right? It certainly isn't you out there watching this chat. It certainly is not the readers at MMAfighting.com. You know, Conor McGregor and UFC not working together. It's not a win for you. Like, so no one really wins here. You can you can count the losses differently if you want, but it's not a scenario where everyone uh, says yay because they're winning. Everyone wins when Conor McGregor competes and he makes money, and the UFC has Conor McGregor compete and they collect money. And the fan puts down sixty bucks, but they get the entertainment of watching Conor McGregor do his thing and be in these big fights. That that's when everybody wins. That's the scenario that everyone buys into. That's the system. That's how it works, right? So no one's really winning in the current scenario, but the difference for me is that first one, Conor McGregor is probably going to say, look, there's no match that I have. What are you going to do? The problem with that logic is that the UFC is going to say, okay, fair enough. We're, look how quickly they called his bluff like that. They didn't hesitate for a second. They immediately announced after they couldn't come to an agreement about his media obligations. Fine. You're gone. From the biggest card of the year no problem we'll plug in someone else and they might be willing to just eat an s sandwich to make that work now i think they'll probably find a gsp or a john jones kind of level fight to make it work but you get the idea even that even the return of gsp is that as big as diaz versus mcgregor too i don't know it's probably close right but you get the idea and they may not be able to make that work either this is the point as soon as mcgregor says uh, I'm not going to participate in this and I'm going to hurt you in the concert as a, as a process. The UFC is going to run as fast as they can to somebody else who may be a lesser of McGregor, but can still produce plenty of reasonable financial gains. In other words, for the system that McGregor wants to buy into to work, all the other headliners have to balk because of his interests. Right, so McGregor says, "I don't want to be in here." UFC says, "Okay," then they pivot to GSP. GSP has to also say, "I'm not interested," on account of McGregor. John Jones, Daniel Cormier, they also have to say, "We're not interested," on account of McGregor, because that's the only thing that forces the UFC back to McGregor in a real, true, like uncle, like arm behind the back kind of way. Again. They're not stupid. They realize it'd be much better to have McGregor at 200 in the UFC generally. They're not crazy about this. But what's really going to force their hand, what's really going to make them bend, it's not clear to me that this is this is going to work, at least in the short run. Again, in the end, I think we'll be able to draw out some concessions. Um, but that this is some Kurt Flood moment, that this is some come-to-Jesus moment for UFC, I'm telling you, you guys know this, in the best of times, the UFC bets on themselves. And in the worst of times, the UFC bets on themselves. And sometimes that blows up in their face. But more often than not, man, that's house money. They, they, you know, <laughs>
You can go to the casino if you want and you can boo the house, but they're still going to win the majority of the time. And that's kind of what I feel like is happening here. Um, UFC is, again, is going to make some kind of effort to get him back. Don't, don't be mistaken. But this idea that they're just going to, you know, grab their ankles right away and say, whatever you want, I, I, I don't buy that at all. I really don't. And this is the other key deal about this. What is so dissimilar from what McGregor is doing to what any other fighter does, to what Matt Mitrione does, in the, in the following sense? Matt Mitrione has complained a number of times that he thought, and Rory McDonald, that they thought they were doing the UFC a lot of favors. And then when it got time for a favor to be paid back, it wasn't. Does that sound familiar to you? Boy, it sounds familiar to me. Now, what you might say is, okay, but the McGregor scenario is different. The McGregor scenario is we're talking tens of millions more in pay-per-view revenue relative to, say, what Matt Mitrione can pull. And I would agree. I'm in no position to argue with the financial returns that McGregor brings. But the two problems in nature are relatively similar, if not outright identical. Guy does favor up front and expects favor on the back end. Favor on the back end doesn't come. It seems to me fighters keep making this mistake over and over and over again. And you might say, well, the McGregor thing is different because of the amount of money involved. And again, I would agree, but that is a difference in degree. That is not a difference in kind. It, it, it is amazing to me that someone like Conor McGregor negotiated to have a fight and maybe the money wasn't right, maybe it was right. Let's just assume the money was right for, for this purpose of this discussion. Why did he not negotiate up front the terms of the PR responsibilities? That would have prevented this problem beginning automatically. Automatically. Now, of course, he maybe had not known that, you know, when he negotiated that deal 200, that this stuff with Carvalho would have come up. And maybe to some extent, he, they, did, they did agree with it. And so there's extenuating circumstances um, that, you know, were, made some of this just not preventable. Okay, I, I can buy that argument too. I really can. But it seems to me that fighters, the critical insight here for me is that fighters keep mistaking their relationship to the company. If you don't get your deal, um, if you don't get your guarantees up front, then you don't have guarantees. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, I mean, pick someone. Alejandro Perez, doesn't matter if you're Matt Mitrione. And it doesn't matter if you're Conor McGregor. They'll pull you from a card. Now, everyone's saying this is negotiation. This is negotiation. Yeah, of course. Every, it's a power struggle. Of course. But I, I just want to caution you. If you think the UFC is ready to bend at any moment, that they just can't take the heat, that they won't fight this tooth and nail, boy, you are very mistaken with who you're dealing with here. These are tough customers, and they play for keeps. Believe me. Believe me, they play for keeps. It's not that I'm unsympathetic to McGregor's point. It's not that I'm unsympathetic to his needs, quite frankly. I, I, I believe the fighters don't have enough recourse in matters like this to have what they want, which is entirely reasonable, met. But it also seems to me they keep miscalculating how business should be done. They keep thinking that if I just do you favors... This will all come back to me when I need it. It will not, or it might, but you have no guarantees. You have no guarantees. The UFC has needs. They have to put promotional material together, and they may not match what you want or what you're able to give or what you think you need to give. But if you signed a document that says you're going to give that, 
by any any reasonable interpretation, I I I I don't know I don't know what else you can do except retire, which is an awfully drastic thing to do. Because if you don't, then you're in breach of the contract. The lesson here for me is that one, as long as the UFC can say, you don't want to play ball, fine. We'll play ball with your other contemporary. We'll play, and if he doesn't want to play ball or she, we'll play ball with your other contemporary. Because these other contemporaries, it's in their interest. Like if McGregor goes away, the UFC is going to be looking for headliners. So if you're one of those guys in that headlining space, all of a sudden the market just got a lot better for you. So all of a sudden you're going to say, wow, I'm ready to jump at the opportunity. This is great for me. McGregor's not here. I'll step up and be a headliner. Put me on a pay-per-view coach. I'm ready to play. That's that's a smaller space, right? It's only a handful, you know, or maybe a dozen or so fighters who can reasonably be expected to do that. But it's still, it's good. It's good for them in that, in that regard. In a sense, right? And I know some of you out there saying, well, it's probably good for um, fighters to be on a McGregor card to make more money. I'm not arguing with you. I completely agree. But if there's not collective action to match a dispute in some kind of way for a fighter, or they don't have any way to have a third party negotiate this for them, this is what you get. You get McGregor retiring so he doesn't get in breach of contract. You get UFC announcing, we're just going to remove him. And then they just go on about their day. In the end... This will be resolved, I, I I strongly suspect. But in the end, it's going to be mild concessions or you know moderate concessions made on the part of McGregor, McGregor just to get him back. Because again, it doesn't serve the UFC's interest long term to have him gone either. But UFC has a line in the sand here. No one They believe that no one is bigger than them, not even Conor McGregor. And whether you agree with that or whether I agree with that is irrelevant at this moment in time. Unless some huge swath of support can really go in McGregor's direction and against the UFC. But they've got UFC 197 this weekend. All you guys who are taking McGregor's back, if the UFC doesn't feel any kind of backlash, why would they be forced to act differently? I don't know. I I really don't know the answer to that. Maybe you do. It's not clear to me at all. Fighters in McGregor's position and Rousey's position, and it'd be nice if everyone was in this position, but they're not. But if you're a level, if you're a McGregor level fighter or you're a headliner level fighter and you don't have stuff like this up front in your deal, you're no different than someone else at the bottom level who just does a bunch of favors up front and thinks they're going to get it on the back end. Maybe you'll get that paid back. Maybe you won't. Why leave it to chance? It doesn't make any sense. You got to get that stuff up front, declared, whatever you want, make sure it's clear. Because whatever favors you think you did, maybe they don't see those as favors. Maybe they see those as you just doing that because that was in your interest too. And it was. It was in McGregor's interest to take that 189 fight. Like he won the belt, the interim belt anyway, made a bunch of cash, rewarded all those Dublin fans or you know Irish fans. Sinead was there. It was a magical moment, man. 194, you know, it was that fight obviously was scheduled on time, but you know, showed up and doing what he was supposed to do. And then 196, sure he lost, but you know, there wasn't a devastating loss. He's still the champion for crying out loud. And he got the rematch, and he made, you know, they they may have almost matched or, you know, came close to breaking the pay-per-view record. Like, he, he gained a lot by that, you know? So so that's my sense. In the end, I don't know how quickly this is going to be resolved, but I think it will be. McGregor will probably get some of the things he's looking for, but not all of them. But to me, the lesson is that the difference between Mehmet Trion and Conor McGregor is not a difference in 
kind. It's a difference in degree. And I have seen the UFC do this before with other guys. Believe me, if you think they're not going to play hardball, you are sorely, sorely mistaken. They believe in their brand and they believe in their brand's preeminence. And they will fight tooth and nail to defend that. And on some level, I frankly understand that, at least a little bit. I, I side personally with Conor McGregor's claims here. But just looking at the landscape of things, looking at the legal side to this, Looking at the historical precedent that UFC has set, I'm not expecting them to bend to McGregor anytime soon. Eventually, maybe. A little. That's about it. Here, someone writes, this is not my words, this is theirs. Someone writes, I'll read two perspectives here. Contrary to popular belief, Connor needs the UFC more than the UFC needs Connor. What do you think, Luke? Don't get me wrong. Connor is great for the sport, and I love to watch his fights, but the show will go on. In the next six weeks, we have got UFC 197, 198, 199, which are all great cards. Bottom line, the UFC will still be a great fight promotion without Connor, while Connor needs to fight the best competition to stay relevant over time. What do you think, Luke? And then someone responds to him and says, UFC needing Connor more than vice versa is the more popular belief? Question mark. I'm not really questioning you, but what you say is true is pretty crazy if more people actually think that. UFC have been making money and providing the world with the best fighters in fight for years. There will always be millions of MMA fans watching UFC across the planet for a long time regardless. Um, so there you go. I understand McGregor completely, and I wish he could get what he wanted. Maybe he will. Maybe I'm completely off my rocker about this. God, I, I, I hope to be. Truly, I hope to be. Um, but if, if past this prologue, he will eventually return, not with his tail tucked between his legs. He'll, he'll draw out some concessions, but, um, I don't think this is a big moment because if other headliners are willing to act like scabs, basically to him at the picket line, and that's not exactly a correct analogy, but you get the idea, you know, I don't know how long this really works for him. Uh, okay, but we'll see. Maybe he, maybe the difference isn't a difference in degree. Maybe it is a difference in kind. And this is a, a vastly different scenario than what I am uh, portraying it to be. We're going to find out. All right, Jones versus OSP. Do you see any other way for OSP to win besides catching him with something big early, catching him with something late? Again, it's like what I, it's what I like to call an elevated puncher's chance. It's not a mere puncher's chance that he has like he can do nothing except you know if a wild punch miraculously finds its way onto Jones's chin, then he'll he'll win. I think he's got a little bit more in the tank than that. I really think he's mostly susceptible on the ground. I think wrestling has been a later part of his um, development of his game. It's it's gotten significantly better, but it's still got some holes. And then once you pass guard, you know he's not. You know, or even to get to half guard, I, I, he just doesn't have a lot of offense or, um, you know, scrambling game to answer someone the level of Jones. I really think that's where this fight will probably end up in as well, you know, either getting pounded out or submitted, something like that. Also, what's the sleeper fight on the UFC 197 card that isn't on the main card? Great question. Let's look at that UFC 197 card. All right. Not on the main card. So here's non-main card fights. Sergio Pettis versus Chris Culates. That's a fun fight. Danny Roberts versus Dominic Steele. Carla Esparza, Juliana Lima. Galaico Franza versus James Vick. Walt Harris versus Cody East. Marcos Rogerio de Lima versus Clint Hester. And then Efrain Escudero versus Kevin Lee. 
lot of good choices there. Some might go with Sparza Lima. I could certainly make a nod to that. I'm going to go Escudero Lee. I, I know Lee is coming off that knockout loss to Leonardo Santos, so that is going to be a motivating factor for him, not merely because he lost, but because he actually wound up admitting on Twitter after the fact that he didn't take him seriously, not seriously enough anyway. Uh, and then you have uh -huh, both guys. That's funny. Both guys coming off of losses to – no, sorry, he, this is different. Coming off of losses to Leandro Silva, different guy. But both guys coming off of losses, um, a little bit, little bit of a contrast in style there. Fun, fun, important, lightweight fight. I like that one a lot. But again, a nod to Esparza versus Lima. And even Pettis versus Culata should be uh, an interesting one as well. But those are the three I would highlight in that order. Okay. Uh, someone says sleeper is Cody East versus Walt Harris. Someone's getting knocked out to close the fight past prelims. I suppose if that's all you really care about, then yes. Sure. Uh, Aldo versus Edgar for the real belt. Luke, if the UFC and McGregor don't budge... Do you think the UFC will strip him of the belt and make Aldo Edgar to a fight for the actual featherweight belt? Eventually, yes. But you notice they didn't strip him right away. McGregor can say he's retired all he wants. They don't, they're not treating him that way. They're treating him like a fighter in protest. Not a fighter in, in you know, not even retreat exactly. A fighter who's in retirement. They're, they're, they're not doing that. They're treating him like a fighter who is unwilling to comply with demands that they believe are reasonable and that he even said he would agree to. Whether you think that's fair or not, different question. Someone says, better question. If the UFC doesn't strip Connor of the belt within the next 24 to 48 hours, is it all just a game for an even bigger plan? No. Right? Because they didn't strip Couture, if I'm not mistaken. Right? When, when, when Couture retired, let's see, he came back. So, right. So, he fought in... He beat Gonzaga at UFC 74 in April of 2007. He defended the UFC Heavyweight Championship. He came back, and I think they had made they had made an interim belt in his defense. Excuse me, they had made an interim belt in his absence, but they never stripped Couture. Well, they've already got an interim belt. All of a sudden, that interim belt means a whole lot more than it used to. I mean, it already was. You know, it's not that not that it was insignificant necessarily, but it's got a little more weight um, maybe than it did perhaps. But no, they won't strip him. And, and, and Couture was gone a year and a half. He fought in August of 2007. He didn't come back until November of 2008. So September, October, November. So, so 15 months he was gone. 15 months. They didn't strip him. All right. Good question here. A little bit off the beaten path. Uh, basic striking versus unorthodox striking. Luke, from day one, Every fighter is taught by their trainer to nail down the basics when developing a technical skill set. After they've reached a certain point, however, some fighters tend to abandon traditional moves in favor of unorthodox moves. Traditional strikers such as Aldo, RDA, GSP, and Lawler have had a great deal of success in the sport. Unorthodox strikers like Jones, Anderson Silva, Machida, Pettis, and Cruz are also extremely accomplished. One could make the argument that while basic techniques are effective, they can make your offense more predictable, whereas an unorthodox style can be more dangerous because it makes your offense pa offensive patterns predict unpredictable. Excuse me. Question, what are the pros and cons of both basic and orthodox striking? Which style is generally ideal for long-term dominance? Well, even then, though, I'm not sure I agree with the characterizations that it's unorthodox, right? You look at Machida and Anderson. They both started with pretty orthodox bases, but they slowly, not slowly, but in the case of Anderson was always kind of experimenting with things. But Anderson does things very technically and precise, too. Um, Pettis comes from the Taekwondo background, Taekwondo background, which is important because that's different than Jones. Jones 
in some ways was self-taught, in some ways was just picking up things he thought was important. That's different than learning the techniques of something in a different style, in a traditional style, and then importing it in and then making it part of your game versus I saw this on YouTube, I saw that on YouTube. In fact, Jones has gone from wild to more orthodox over time. Uh, that's actually a bit of a contrast there. So I think some of the grouping there, it's not unorthodox versus orthodox. Um, the two bleed together. Guys change over time. I'm not sure those two categories are the most helpful categorization um, silos I can think of. It might be We may have to open up a wider range of different categories that guys fit into. But I think generally speaking, you have to do what you find to be most effective. I lean a little bit in MMA that the guys who do the best are the ones that have great fundamentals and then add twists to it. Those seem to be the guys that have the best. Um, that's not altogether true. That's not true without exception. But that's generally how I go. Somebody like an Anderson Silva who's got a great Muay Thai base. I mean, his Thai clinch is as technical as it gets uh, and as traditional as it gets. But he's, of course, added in a, a range of other things over time that has really, you know, become a, a more than the sum of its parts. Um, let's see. And someone says lawless striking is nothing traditional. It is a little bit. However, I agree with GSP. Striking is very karate oriented. Uh, okay, someone says, more likely upset. Who is more likely to get the upset, Cejudo or OSP? Man, this one feels like it'll come back to bite me in the ass. Probably OSP only in the sense that, like, a big punch could hurt John or a big kick could hurt John. But Cejudo, you know, while he is able to land and score consistent offense, it never feels dangerous, right? So I don't know who's more likely to get the upset. Maybe I can't answer that question because it's just too difficult. What do the odds makers say, by the way? It'll be interesting to note. Not entirely dissimilar, a little bit different. Um, Ovid St. Pru is about a plus 420-ish underdog, and Cejudo is about a plus 350-ish underdog. So slightly more, a little bit more of an underdog for um, uh, OSP than Cejudo. But okay. Um, but if you're asking me who's more dangerous, OSP, at least in the short run anyway, OSP feels a little bit more dangerous. All right. So we're asking a different one. Could this be a setup by UFC and Connor? I am not even going to answer that one. All right. Bendo versus Koreshkov. So Friday, um, Bellator makes their, um, well, I should say Ben Henderson makes his Bellator debut. You, Bellator 153 would be the Mohegan Sun. Someone asked me if I was covering that. I am not, but the man in the hat, Chuck Mindenhall, he will be there for MMA fighting. So we'll have someone on the ground there for sure. But I think most of the team is going to be uh, obviously in Vegas for this one. Um, in terms of who I've got, you know, Koreshkov has really come a long way, especially since that Ben Askren fight. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get finished. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the distance. But I just feel like Ben Henderson's fit, even, even coming up in weight, I feel like he's probably going to have some physical advantages. He's definitely going to have some wrestling advantages. And I just don't know what Koreshkov is going to show him that Henderson hasn't already seen. Unless Henderson's really slipping, which I don't think he is, um, his fight to lose, for sure. All right, we got some true-false here. Let's do this. Let's do this. True-false. Number one, GSP versus Nate Diaz is likely to be the new main event of UFC 200. Someone said Likely. I'll say false, but I'm not 
very comfortable with that false. Two, now that McGregor has retired from the sport, Edgar and Aldo will be fighting for the real featherweight title. False. Y'all are very mistaken about that. Well, I mean, they eventually might, but not right away. Three, Glover Teixeira's knockout. Let me, let me go back one more. If you lived through the Randy Couture, I'm tired of swimming upstream against UFC management era of MMA, this should all feel a little bit familiar to you. And again, I don't know that past is prologue. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it feels like it is a little bit. I've seen this movie before. You can say McGregor's not Couture, and I would agree. I'm not arguing with you. But is McGregor so much not Couture that it ultimately changes all the dynamics about this? I have a hard time believing that. Glover Teixeira's knockout of Rashad Evans was eerily similar to the Rashad knockout of Chuck Liddell back in 2008. In a sense, but if you remember, that fight took place, if I'm not mistaken, in Atlanta. And Liddell was still a huge fan favorite at the time. And when Evans knocked him out, the pl- you could hear a pin drop in that bitch. And uh, except for Rashad at the time, his wife screaming at the top of her lungs. Short of that... Um, you know, there there were some similarities about how it all took place, I suppose. But um, the dynamics of Glover, you know, and Rashad was a fan favorite there too, but not so much that people didn't appreciate what Glover did. That was very different. Rashad was not well, not going to say hated, but he just wasn't this figure of adoration and certainly respect that he is now. It was a little bit different back then. Although those knockouts like Liddell began to turn the tide, did they not? Uh, Dana White, number four. Dana White most likely regrets saying that Nate Diaz doesn't move the needle and that Misha Tate should probably retire. Didn't he say George St. Pierre should probably retire too, most recently? Like he was like, if George St. Pierre is doing, you know, test cuts and, you know, camps where he wants to see if he wants to get back into it, he should probably not do this. He's like outright saying things that it's like not in his interest, but he's been doing that for a number of years. So that's hardly new. Um, do I think he regrets it? I don't think he regrets much. So I'll say false. RDA fighting on Fight Pass is the UFC's way of punishing him for pulling out of the McGregor fight. That is so false. I understand. If you're one of these guys, and again, you guys know me. I, I, I'm a big believer that athletes don't have enough rights and protections currently in the sport. Um, not to say they're outright completely abused, but I definitely feel like a lot more can be done to serve their interests, and a lot more should be done to serve their interests. Um. I will also say I have mixed feelings about it because as a Fight Pass customer, I absolutely love the fact that the lightweight title is going to be on Fight Pass. If if Fight Pass is to ever become more than what it is, if it is ever to become more than just a place that holds the prelims and fights from Europe or something like that, they've got to start putting things on there in a way that makes sense. As a customer of Fight Pass, and I'm speaking as a, in that compartmentalized identity, I love this. I love this. And frankly, I do believe that eventually... And it may be years from now. Eventually, I think Fight Pass is going to be, you know, I don't know about a default destination, but as important or maybe even more important than the television that um, that um, television revenue that UFC garners. I, I, I'm firmly in believing that. And you can't get there without sacrificing. Now, you might say, okay, look, that, that might be true, but these guys should get paid more if they're going to get put on Fight Pass. And I agree. If you're uh, if you're fighting for a title and you're fighting on Fight Pass, and you're a guy who's got like pay per view points in your contract, there they should pay you more. Hundred percent, totally agree. Would have no problem with that, um, and they've got the money to do it. Like this is not an issue of pinching pennies, um, because you have to. So 
So those kinds of protections, I feel like they deserve. But just the idea of having the lightweight title put on Fight Pass, I'm two thumbs up. Six, the increase of fighters calling out other fighters during a post-fight interview is proof that they're starting to take advantage of promotional benefits. I don't know that that's been measured, but I certainly agree it feels that way, and I would probably say true. Seven, Ben Askren versus Habib would be the most technical grappling battle in MMA history. Now, Habib would be a little bit outsized, but I I mean, some somebody make that fight. Polaris, somebody. Somebody make that match, because that would be awesome. So I'll say, I mean, it wouldn't be true, but I'll say true because it'd be so awesome. Eight, Conor McGregor is more hated in Brazil than Chael was back in the heyday. No, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to ask Guillermo Cruz. I don't know if he's watching. If he is, he can G-chat me. I'll probably say false. Um, also, Brazilian MMA, I'm not saying it's on the downslope. It's not, but like Brazil, the country is a mess right now. Back when Chael was doing that, it was like really hot. So I feel like the the nationalism part of it all was like really you know bubbling, and now I feel like Brazilians you know the market's down, the country they just impeached their president, yeah, well the lower chamber did anyway, and um, it's a it's a mess right now in Brazil. So uh, Mike number nine, Michael Chiesa is the official dark horse in the lightweight division. True, what a what a phenomenal win by him. Uh, against against Benil Darius. If you guys watched, please, if you haven't already, you know what, man? I was so upset. I actually put some effort into that. I mean, I always should have put effort to the Monday morning analyst, but I was actually really like happy with this one. I'm 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 sometimes happy with them, sometimes I'm not, and I was really happy with this one. And you know, um, I don't think a lot of people really watch that UFC on Fox show, so I we I don't know if we even got the updated ratings for it, but um, it was one of the lower rated ones that they've ever done, but um. And we looked at Michael Chiesa's back take and his choke entries. And, you know, Dar- I, I, again, I can't speak for Benil Dariush. I don't know what he was thinking. The tape looks like, and I put a big looks like, he just didn't take the threat of Chiesa on his back seriously. Man, what a mistake that was. Michael Chiesa gets on your back and the world should stop. If he gets on your back, don't do S else except fight the hands and get him off, which is no easy task because he'll probably go right to mount. But if you don't, that's a lot better than just getting your jaw cracked and submitting um, in a fight. Michael Chiesa on your back is not to be trifled with. Not now, not ever. Uh, 10, Matt Brown is really your long-lost twin brother. Are we still doing the Matt Brown jokes? (laughs) Are those still in play? Golly, man. I gotta do Benson Henderson's debut Luke will you be covering this event uh, again Chuck Mendenhall will be I feel like this event isn't getting the attention it needs it probably isn't but how can it in a week where this, arguably the sports biggest star has a public squabble with the sports biggest promotion hard to fit in people love these fantasy matchups I don't know Ooh, what the hell my stand just broke. Oh, are you guessing me? Hang on. Son of a mother effer. I'm not even going to fool with this thing. Listen to this. Ready? There we go. All right. 
Crazy fancy matchups. Anderson Silva versus GSP. GSP. Fedor versus Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. DC versus Liam McGeary. DC. Uh, BJ Penn versus Clay Guida. BJ Penn. Lee Murray versus CM Punk. Are you kidding me? Lee Murray would spark him with a quickness. Even after being in prison. Uh, Ariel Helwani versus Mark Ramundi. Now see, Mark trains jujitsu. So, I'm, ooh, that's a tough one. Ariel's bigger. And he's feisty, and he's in shape because he plays b-ball. But Ramundi trains jiu-jitsu. Yes, he does. Don't think he doesn't. You know what? I'm going to call the upset there. I'm going to go a little Ramundi. You go get him, Ramundi. Uh, and then me versus average donk in MMA fighting. I would knock the average donk. Cle- I would knock his head clean off his shoulders. All right. Oh, should I tell you what happened? Nah, I'll keep that to myself. All right. Um, next for Habib. Luke, if it were up to you, would you rather have Habib fight Ferguson at May 29, like Ferguson wants him to, or book him against the winner of RDA versus Alvarez sometime in the fall? Here's what I would say. You can't go wrong with either of them, right? I mean, either way, you get a barn burner. If Michael Chiesa hadn't done what he had did, then I would say, you know, that May fight's looking pretty attractive, but I got to be honest. Kiesa versus Ferguson. It's not the same as Ferguson versus Nurmagomedov, admittedly. I, I I like that fight a lot. I love that Kiesa versus Ferguson fight. I thought it was super smart of Kiesa to, you know, ride the wave of the biggest one of his career to go in and do that. Um, and it makes all the sense in the world to get Habib the winner of RDA versus Alvarez, quite frankly. So... I wouldn't be mad if they made the Ferguson fight on May 29th, but again, I think it looks like Nurmagomedov sort of turned that corner, but um, man, Ferguson versus Chiesa, if that's a consolation prize, that's a consolation prize I will take any day of the week. Boy, more fantasy matchups. Are you you guys trolling me with these fantasy matchups? Y'all know this means nothing, right? Let's, let's, Let's rifle through these. Rumble versus Teixeira, I'd probably go Rumble. Cormier Velasquez, I'll go, at this point, I'll go Cormier. Lawler versus Habib, uh, I'll say Lawler. Prime Machida versus TRT Vitor, probably TRT Vitor. Pettis versus Chandler, Chandler. Wonderboy versus Tumanov, that's a tough one. Um, I'll say Wonder Boy, but that's, I don't know. Diaz versus Alvarez. I'll say Alvarez. Prime BJ Penn versus Prime Gil Melendez, BJ. Romero Musasi. I'll say Romero. Lamas versus Oliveira. I'll say, that's a tough one too. Um, I'll say Oliveira. Joe Duffy versus Rashid Magomedov. I will say Duffy. And then Yair Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega. That last one is a sick fight. Uh, probably Ortega, but I don't know. Rodriguez is a handful, man. That's a, I don't know. That's a tough one. All right, Luke, what if? What if Connor does not return? What will happen to the featherweight division's belt? Will it be Frankie versus Jose again? What if Jose wins the belt back that way? How would that make the integrity of the champion look? Uh, not great. But if it really is true that like two or three years pass or however long it takes, you know, uh, you can hear my stomach. Rumbling haven't eaten today um 
yeah, it wouldn't look great, but really what choice would they have? And eventually they would just move on. You know, it's not the same thing as like Jones having legal trouble and then Cormier picking it up and then Cormier getting perfectly legitimate wins against Johnson and um, Gustafson. And then we're like, well, you know, you still got this guy on the back burner. If there's no one on the back burner, you know, eventually memories fade, but there would, it would, it would not be great. From black to gray, embers, Lamb of God. Um, Fedor versus Fabio Maldonado. Is this the saddest fight on earth? Golly. Luke, are you excited at all for this? Nope, sure ain't. Maldonado may be a known name, but at this stage, he's sort of a light heavyweight punching bag, and I see this fight being a sad beatdown. I mean, could this fight ma matter less? If you're like one of these guys that like, you know, for example... People who like Kimbo, they just want to see Kimbo knuckle someone up, man. It's it's not it's not much more complicated than that. And if you don't go to Kimbo slice fights, you can't believe that. But uh, God, I've been to like what three of them now? Let's see, I went to the top, I went to the first Thompson one, and then I went to the Shamrock one, then I went to the Dada five thousand one. I'm not sure if I've been to any other ones. The 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 appeal of Kimbo slice is that up front people like him, people don't want to see him lose. And they just want to see him knock someone out. And it's really, that's 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 the whole show for Kimbo Slice. And people are happy to do that. They're happy to spend money to go watch that. They really like that. Um, oh, interesting. Someone's adding this from Dave Doyle. Dave Doyle saying, let me interrupt this real quickly. Dana is saying, quote, Connor needs to clear up this whole retirement thing. If he's retired... Jose Aldo versus Frankie Edgar are fighting for the vacant title. Yeah, interesting. They didn't do that for Couture. That's interesting. I guess we'll see what they do. I guess we'll see what they do. Fedor versus Fabio Maldonado. I mean, that it seems like a pressure tactic. All right, we'll strip you of your belt if you're really... Oh, oh, you're, oh you're done? Okay, you're done. Here, give us the belt back. Right, that kind of thing. So we'll see. Do they really mean it? We'll find out. Fedor versus Fabio Maldonado again. Um, anyway, is that what Fedor's become? You know, you don't really want to see him. You don't. Really, it's just you like him so much. You don't care who he fights. You just want to see if Fedor wins. <clears throat> if that's what you want, that's no less authentic than why people watch Kimbo, and that's fine. You can do that. But uh, you know, Kimbo is. I mean, he was a he was a real fighter, right? He's he's been in real fights. You know, he's he's tried. He, you know, he fought Memetry and he lost, but he fought Houston Alexander. That's a real fight, you know. Um, low level at some on some considerations, but it's, it's a real fight. But Fedor was like you know, the best heavyweight ever, or something. And for him to be doing this, it's like, I mean, if y'all want to watch, watch. But I mean, I couldn't possibly be less interested. Nor, frankly, I'm interested in him competing. I'm not interested in him competing at this point. Like, I don't think he can fight against the best, so that's why he's doing this. Um, I, yeah, Rose versus Torres score. Hard. Luke, just out of curiosity, how'd you score that Rose Torres fight? I had a 29 28 Torres rounds one and three for Torres, but I saw nobody making a big deal of it. How did you score this match? So, again, you guys know this when I'm live blogging, I'm doing this, and you wind up missing a lot. Okay, so I live blogged that fight. Um, someone says, I think Fedor versus Kane would still be a great fight. I mean, if you're interested in seeing Fedor catch a serious ass whipping, sure. Uh, anyway, Torres versus Rose. So 
live blogging it, and I have not gone back and watched it without that. I had it for Nama Yunus, but people whose judgment I trust had it the other way, to your point. Seems like to me either scorecard is justified. I saw a really interesting tweet, and I wish I remembered who wrote it. I think it was Evan Showman. I think. And he said the only non-justifiable scorecard would be um, 30-27 Torres or 30-27 Nama Yunus. Everything else, and there's, you know, there's a range of possibilities in there, I suppose, giving me a majority decision or something, is justified. That sounds right to me. That sounds right. I mean, everyone thinks that the scoring criteria should should it should all it should all narrow to one decision, should narrow to one choice. Sometimes it can only narrow to two or three. Someone says frustrated. I mean, I'm generally an angry person, but uh, okay, let's see what you mean. Good afternoon, Luke. As a journalist who appreciates the finer points of technique and tactic in mixed martial arts, how frustrating is it for you to have so much of the discussion in the sport orbit around personalities, drugs, drama, promoter ethics, and the private lives of fighters? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, I've gotten more uh, accustomed to it. Here's the truth of the um, of the matter that I've sort of come to on this. At least, well, I, I can't call it a truth, but it's my truth anyway, right? If you, if talking about technique matters to you, if, if making that a part of the conversation matters to you, it's a priority for you, it's an interest for you, and you think that's a valuable way to spend your time, which clearly I do, then do that. Lead the charge. Um, make the changes. And if you want people to come along, then talk about it in ways that you feel like you can get them to do that. But if you want that to be a portion of the conversation, it's incumbent upon you as a person, or in my case as a journalist, to make that happen. And I can't artificially make that happen. I can't just talk technique in ways that would bore you or insert into a conversation where you know it's never going to have any impact. I want to have impact with it, right? Um, so I try to do that with the podcast and the technique talk series and, and things like that. Um, but it's incumbent upon you. You know, the only thing that really bothers me is I. I got into MMA for those reasons because I was like fighting like so like okay why is fighting different than football why is fighting different than baseball um, fighting is something that naturally occurs in nature certainly in our species and uh, the animal kingdom generally right they they compete for resources and they literally physically fight one another uh, different ways perhaps but they do the difference is that. Um, Mixed martial arts is a regulated form of it. There are some rules instituted, but also that the best practices in terms of affecting technique uh, have been developed. It's it, Fighting is something that naturally occurs in nature. Mixed martial arts is taking that, civilizing it to a degree, professionalizing it to a degree, regulating it to a degree, and then enhancing it to a degree. But that's not the same case for... Um, Football or baseball or basketball. It doesn't work that way. Those are not naturally occurring phenomenon. And MMA itself is not naturally occurring, but it's a function of that. Um, and so the point is that that to me was what interested me. It was like, holy crap. Like we are scientifically making fighting. We're, we're getting better at it. You know, of course, there's street fights with weapons and everything else too that we can't really practice in that regard. But um in terms of sort of the hand-to-hand -hand aspect of it, we certainly are, right? And that's what got me into it. And then I sort of discovered there was this like this pro wrestling underbelly that um, is certainly there, 
that I frankly wish wasn't, but there are a lot of people who came to the sport from that, that they watched pro wrestling and sort of graduated into uh, MMA. And that's fine. I mean, they're as entitled to be, you're, you're allowed to be fans for all the reasons you want to be fans, you know. Um, I'm just telling you the perspective I came from and how it was just weird because I didn't see it coming at all. I was like, what is this? You know, but it's a real and it's a thriving part of MMA. All right, Connor, 197 distraction. How can the UFC counter the distraction from the return of John Jones? I don't think they try to counter it. I think they try to ride it. Dana White's on Sports Center, and yeah, he's talking about Conor McGregor, but he's also going to get an opportunity to talk about 197 this weekend. I don't think this is going to hurt pay-per-view buys at all. You know, if it was, UFC would try to be quiet about it. They're not. They're getting out in front of it. You know. Um. The, the so remember when I said at the beginning of the show that there's no way to talk about Conor McGregor without someone accusing you on either side of either doing him a favor or beating him up. Here we go. Someone says Ariel Hawani or Dave Doyle. Who's the bigger McGregor apologist? See, what an incredibly stupid question. <laughs> There's no way to win with him. If you want to discuss McGregor, you are always going to lose because one side is simply not going to accept that you can talk about him in that way, whatever that way may be. Uh, breakdown, DJ versus Cejudo. How do you see this fight going down? How can Cejudo win? I really don't know how Cejudo can win, which is something we've said before about other fighters, and then they go out there and they win. So me saying I don't say see how he can win is not saying he can't win or that he won't win. Um, it's merely to say that at this juncture, I can't quite see it. Given what he's shown in the octagon, I can't quite point to something and say, oh, that'll do it. You know, the wrestling is good, sure. The boxing is good, great. The wrestling's not so dominant that it'll stuff DJ, I don't think. And the boxing is good. I'm sure he'll land some licks in on DJ, but it's not so forceful that it'll run him over. Um, again, what is Cejudo packing that he hasn't seen before in MMA context? Forget the resume. In MMA context, what is he just showing him? I, I don't really know. Someone says, I'm calling a shock upset. Yes, everyone does that for every fight. So that is in no way interesting. Okay. Luke, as an MMA fan and not a businessman, who would be your number one choice as a GSP's opponent if he decides to return this summer? Huh. Good question. Hmm. Not a businessman, just an MMA fan. That is interesting. Um... It would never happen, but Wonder Boy would be kind of fun. Uh, I would be okay with a Hendricks rematch. Try to think of a middleweight. Would I like to see him fight a middleweight? Let's see. Let's take a look at old middleweight. Uh, versus Matt Brown would be kind of fun. Well, there's no one really a middleweight that gets me going, but yeah, some of those would be kind of fun. Someone who's going to take it to him, you know? I'm sure you guys can think of better ones than that that I'm coming up with. All right, let's see here.
So it says, what does Barbus mean and why did you name him that? So Barbus is actually, you spelled it wrong. It's not B-A-R-B-U-S. It's B-A-R-B-A-S. Bar, Boz, like Boz Rutten. Bar, where you get hammered. Boz, he hammers you. But Barba is Spanish for beard. But the problem was when we called him Barba, everyone thought we were saying Barbara. <laughs> so we were like, okay, let's just call him Beards. Barbas. Sounds a little bit different. If OSP beats Jones, where do you rank it as the biggest upset in UFC history? Uh, it'd be big, but it wouldn't be the biggest. Uh, Sarah GSP would be bigger. Um... Home versus Rousey would be bigger. It's a, it's a definitely a step down from that for sure. Uh, your verdict on Habib's return, same old Eagle. How do you see the potential RDA rematch going down? This was a very good question because I had a lot of people bring this up to me on Twitter, being like, "Nurmagomedov didn't, you know, he looked. I mean, he obviously ran over Horcher, but it wasn't like he looked like we thought he was going to look. Took a while to get going, and yeah, once he got on the ground, he did his thing. But there was a certain magic or electricity missing, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it was a tune-up fight. Tune-up fights are to get you going again." To flare a little bit of your ability, which you saw, certainly on the ground, he was just, there was no match for him. If you watch my Monday Morning Analyst, you saw one of the takedowns he had where he sort of baited Horcher into driving an underhook. Once Horcher did it, he pinned it against his body and he took him for a ride. You know, it's just like there were shades of the old Habib, but like it takes a second to get all that back. Uh, Dominic Cruz, for example, this was a funny admission he made, okay? And what he said was, him and Brian Stan were at the desk with Kurt Menefee for UFC on Fox. Now, Dominic Cruz has come out and he has said, um, "There's ring rust is only in your mind because he is so mentally powerful about driving himself. But we know the truth. Maybe it doesn't affect Dominic Cruz, but ring rust affects most fighters most of the time. Okay? Now, he said something I thought was very, very interesting and almost contradictory because someone had asked him, you know, because uh, Evans had had ACL surgery and then had come back against Bader and didn't look all that great. And Dominic's point was that first fight back, you know, you don't necessarily feel like yourself. It's that second fight back where you really feel like yourself. And he had said that was true about his own experience. Now, there was a big gap between the Mizugaki fight and the Dillashaw fight, but he said those words that the first fight back, you don't exactly feel like yourself. It just takes a second octagon appearance for you to say, okay, this is different. You know, that, that's the truth about ring rust, man. Dominic Cruz can can mentally, because he's so powerful, he can mentally drive himself through things like that. Most guys cannot, you know. It takes a second to get where you want to go. And if you think that, like, the upper bound limit of what you saw in the Habib versus Horcher fight is the upper bound limit of what's there or the upper bound limit of what you'll see in a future fight, I would strongly caution against that. I think you'll see magic again. I think you'll see electricity again. This was getting back, getting around under his belt. He could have finished Horcher in that first round if he really wanted to. I don't think he really wanted to. I think he wanted to just sort of like slowly apply offense and see what happened. And Horcher just wasn't a match for him, you know. A good fighter, for sure, but not, not a match for Habib. And, uh, and so it takes a second, you know. It's not going to happen automatically. Someone says, I thought Habib looked pretty shoddy in his stand-up. Horcher was having some success on the feet. I mean, what do you want me to say about that, you know. All right, Luke. Recently we have seen two fighters, Jones and Nurmagomedov, come out and say they were offered and accepted fights and then had fighters pull out due to injury, Johnson and Cerrone. Johnson says he never picked it up, but okay. 
Johnson was actually injured while it seems that Cerrone never was injured in the first place. He had both Jones and Nurmagomedov camps thought they had fights with those guys. Do you have any clue what is going on here? Yeah, this is pretty clear. Um, Johnson, fighter camps, we, we talked about this before. Promoter will say one thing, camp will say another, and the two will kind of both be true and kind of not be true. This is just a case of bad information. Uh, it's not much more than that. Worst punishment, reading fantasy matchup posts all day or watching nonstop WrestleMania highlights for an hour. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. The WrestleMania stuff is bad, but it's only an hour. That's better than reading fantasy matchups all day. So I'll take WrestleMania. EBI 6. Luke, would you share your thoughts on the upcoming EBI 6 this weekend? Do you consider Gary Tonin to be the favorite? Are there any matches you're looking forward to? I thought that that card was decimated, right, by withdrawals and injuries. Like, Vinny's not in it. I forgot who else withdrew. Uh, I don't think Galvan's in it anymore. I could be wrong about the last one, but um, if it's just Cummings and Tonin, then I like Tonin to win, but I honestly haven't kept up with it. Injury prevention and BJJ. Luke, could you share your thoughts on injury prevention in jiu-jitsu? When to train with pain and when you should stay at home? If you don't want to be injured doing BJJ, don't do BJJ. <laughs> uh, I don't know else to tell you, man. I've never feel worse than when I do that for like five days in a, in a row. Um, I've had plantar fasciitis. Your fingers hurts. Your shoulder hurts. Your back hurts. Your neck hurts. Everything hurts. I mean, look, you got to warm up properly. You need to eat correctly. Um, when do I not train with injury? It's a real simple test case for me. Do I feel good coming out of training? Now, I might have some aches here or there, but like after training is over, do I feel good? Or do I feel like, you know, it doesn't take long for me to go right back to feeling like crap? If it takes me a while to, to feel like I'm going back, like for example, there was a while where I was doing four days a week and not just four days a week, but like four days in a row. Man, by that fourth day, I just felt God awful, you know, just really just beat down. I've done gi, I've done no gi, I've done wrestling. I'm just ugh. So what I decided was three in a row was the max I was going to do. And then if I did a fourth, it would be just a different day or a good open mat or something. And that made a world of difference. I didn't feel as bad coming out of training. And you have to kind of just listen to your body a little bit about that. That's the best advice I can really give you. You know, everyone will tell you, you got to know the difference between being hurt and being injured. That's, you know, if you're not competing professionally, that's the, you shouldn't even compete hurt or train hurt. It will only lead to you getting hurt more. Um, and also you should learn how to train around outside sparring, you know, like doing lots of drilling even when you're injured or drills you can do even when one part of your body is injured and um, that kind of thing. Rosie, ready or not, how many fights do you think it will take before she is ready to fight for the belt? You mean Rose Namajunas? Ooh, I'd say two more. She's 23, 22. Jones's addiction admission. What do you make of John Jones' admission that he was a drug addict? Um, let's assume that it's true. Find it very non-controversial. Maybe he, maybe he should admit that. Maybe he does have a substance abuse problem. Admitting it is not some great sin or uh, some great aberration from the norm that affects many Americans and people around the world every day. In fact, admitting it is a is a show of strength. So, yeah. He said he was a marijuana addict. You can be addicted to the routine of it, but marijuana has no pharmacological addictive properties. 
So you can be mentally addicted to it, but you can't be chemically addicted to it. Um, that that I have a little bit of an issue with. Does IBJJF weaken BJJ by not allowing certain positions and submissions and competition? Does this weaken the art and its effectiveness? Uh, this is a very complicated and long question. There's probably some merit to this, but I'm one of these big believers that like everyone who's like, I love submission only time limits. That's the best way to tell who's the best grappler. I'm like, not really. The IBJJF tournaments feature almost almost exclusively always the best competitors with the best matches. The point system, I think, is great. There are problems with refereeing and officiating, a huge problem with it. Um, did you guys see Kenny Florian came back and was like he had a back take on a guy and they didn't call it matches over. He thought he had the points and the other guy wins 2 nothing. He was like, what? Okay, my coach competed in that same division with Florian. Like if they had both kept going, they would have competed against each other. And the same thing happened to him. So there's a clear problem in like how they award points. A lot of people who aren't Brazilian feel like there's a bias against them if the Brazilian if the referee is Brazilian. And more than that, they don't call stalling enough. Um, you guys have heard me argue. I saw one of the Miao brothers beat somebody 26 to 4. And I was like, can we please get a tech fall here? And people were like, you should never have a tech fall in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, you should. Or have a tournament where you don't have tech fall, but I would be happy, you know, and, and that, that can be separate. I would be all too happy to have tech falls in jiu-jitsu. You went, if you're up 20 points on a guy, tech fall time, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, give me, if you're up 15 points on a guy, you should tech fall him. This is ridiculous. But there are things like that to, to, to you know, get rid of stalling and, and whatnot. But um, the point system, everyone who's like, oh, I love the non-point system. I love submission only with time limits. To a man, every time I ask someone that, there are, okay, I'm sure there are exceptions out there, but my personal interactions with people is people who don't watch IBJJF. Like, this idea that the, the, like, the Meow brothers are less effective with their jiu-jitsu. I mean, in a street fight, I, I wouldn't recommend a Baron Bolo, but even in old-school jiu-jitsu competitions, they would get smoked by people like the Meow brothers. Like, they would get smoked by people with like Keenan. And really, even jiu-jitsu is, you know, Keenan's going to be able to take them out on someone pretty effectively. There are schools that do things kind of interestingly where they will incorporate weapons defense a little bit, you know. But if you have a couple of decent takedowns, you got some guard passes, and you got some decent submissions from guard, it's really all you. It's all that's going to be really valuable in a street fight at some point. And I know some schools do th cool things like, um, like one day a week they'll have everyone roll in street clothes. I like that idea. I think that's pretty cool. You know, get a sense for how the street clothes are supposed to feel in those kinds of scenarios. Um, you know, things like that. So I think there are some things they could do to bring it back to real world defense, but. I think a lot of the arguments about the effectiveness being of jiu-jitsu being, you know, um, oh, jiu-jitsu is not as effective as it used to be. It's actually more effective in some ways than the old jiu-jitsu was. It's just that the rest of the MMA world, the, the science of fighting, has gotten advanced too. But, like, jiu-jitsu now is a lot more effective than it used to be. Just, it is. Jiu-jitsu as a complete self-defense system Maybe there's some tweaks you can make there, but these are not like dramatic changes. Uh, let's do a true-false, then we'll get to the Twitter machine. True-false, due to all the McGregor madness, the UFC totally forgot UFC 197 embedded episode two. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Jones comes out to the Octagon to Saturday night to F the police by NWA before it switches to his usual champ is here by Jadakiss. Probably not. Uh, Henry Cejudo shocks the world Saturday night. Again, I don't think so. I will say false, but you guys know uh, I am not Miss Cleo. Uh, Glover versus Johnson is the second best fight in the light heavyweight division right now. 
It might be. It might be. Around 1 a.m. Eastern time, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Jones versus Cormier 2 was announced as the new main event for 200. Um, I'll say false, but very, not a very confident false. Uh, okay, let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. What? How about an AP chem? Yeah. Oh, God. I didn't ask if I could tell the story or not. Um, wait, what? That's weird. Uh, all right. I promise to tell the... I will tell that story. I just got to verify. I won't get in trouble for it. I didn't cheat or anything. There's nothing like that. But um, I did something. I did something funny. All right. Uh, I don't know what this question is. McGregor's tweet got 156,000 retweets. Golly, man. That is a lot. Could you tell us what happened? Talking about the Luke versus average donk at MMA fighting question. I'm not sure what else to tell you. Surprised you ranked home Ronda bigger upset than OSP biting Jones. It is unequivocally bigger. It's not a matter of debate. Everyone, okay, let's have this discussion, shall we? This is how upsets work. And I had some discussion with somebody on, on the uh, Reddit BJJ uh, thread about this. Everyone's very confused about this. Just because you think it's not as much of an upset or I think it's not as much of an upset does not matter. What matters is where you are seated and what matters is for example, let's say in the March Madness brackets, and what matters is betting odds. That's it. Now, you could personally say the betting odds are wrong. This isn't as much of an upset as I think, or the betting odds are wrong. This is much more of an upset than they're telling you. You can say that, but what determines whether or not it is an upset is not your personal conjecture or my personal conjecture. Our opinions about it, you know, such that they don't are, are unrelated to the betting lines don't matter. That's what matters. Position and, and betting odds. That is it. That is it. It's, it's very simple. So you saying, I'm surprised you rank home Ronda as a bigger upset over OSP versus or potentially defeating Jones. Yeah, because that's a fact. Not up for debate. In my opinion, Connor was a... Connor was a second Diaz loss away from severe reduction in his relevance. Did all, including Connor McGregor, over, overestimate his leverage? Um, we shall see if you overestimated his leverage soon, but um, I don't think he was going to have his leverage reduced with a second loss to Diaz that much. Will we look back on McGregor era and say that? This was the time dynamics between fighter and promoter changed. Not yet. Is Connor's coach at fault for poking the bear in this situation? Could he handle it better? Um, this is just not a sport where people act in ways you are accustomed to in other professional sports. So like poking the bear, if it works in the end, then no, he was entirely justified. If it doesn't, well, that's a different discussion. True or false, if and when... Manchester City beat Real at Champions League semis. I will never miss an episode of The Ultimate Fighter again. 
no. And I, not because I'm not confident that Real Madrid can't win. I mean, let's see how they do against Villarreal this week, or I think it's today. Uh, but um, I just can't watch tough. <laughs> not that much anyway. Um, ever think about doing a vlog of Periscope during the fights? Yes, I do one on Facebook sometimes. If you go get at me at facebook.com slash Luke T Sports, um, my account is verified. And as a consequence, they allow me to use what's called Facebook Live. And I do that sometimes for the last round or right after the fight's over or something. I'm, I mean, I've been playing with it a little bit. So get at me on Facebook and you can see that. If Jones has a dominating performance, could it be possible Jones versus DC2 consider for UFC 200 main event? Yes, it is. It, again, injuries and stuff like that. We'll see. The dominating performance part, I don't know that that matters so much. More that matters is can he get out of that fight unscathed? So it says, I'm Brazilian and we don't hate Connor for real. People here just want to see him down to mock him, by the way. I really like him. So there you go. The Chael Sonnen thing was like heated, you know. I don't think they like Connor, but it's more a little bit showy. Lucas, they have BJJ coaches at the Elevation Fight Team. Why is Brandon Thatch's ground game still so poor? I said this a thousand times. If you get Brandon Thatch to train along Usain Bolt, if you get Brandon Thatch to train with Jordan Burroughs, it, it, it's not necessarily going to make him run faster or wrestle better. There are a lot of factors that go into in one's improvement, and having great coaches and putting in a lot of effort is one thing. You know, I got a piece coming out. I, I won't divulge too much, but I talked to a bunch of John Jones's coaches, and there's a common thread through all the conversations that they all say, and it's there's a number of things they all say, but one thing is that like you cannot believe how quickly he picks things up the speed with which he gets techniques. And they were saying that not relative to the average person. They were saying that to the average UFC fighter. Like the UFC fighter is going to get that faster than the average person. And he's a level above that. Like the level at which he gets techniques without repetition is astounding to them. And so this is what I'm talking about. Some people have a natural aptitude for this generally and a natural aptitude for learning in certain circumstances. And maybe Brandon Thatch is putting in the effort and it's just coming along slowly for him. I don't doubt his effort at all, but it just these things don't come automatic like you think they do. And always remember, learning jiu-jitsu is a marathon, not a sprint. Is conjecture on Conor McGregor's emotional turmoil fair given the sarcastic nature of his and Kavanaugh's tweets? That's a good question. I don't know. Theoretically, can McGregor make more money in Bellator? Only if Viacom wants to pay him stupid money that I don't think they want to do. How dissimilar is the treatment of McGregor now and John Jones circa UFC 151? Very different. So this is a little bit different. So McGregor is being treated like, well, you know, look, the UFC is putting a line in the sand. But, I mean, I remember when UFC did a press call and they called Greg Jackson a sport killer and they were berating John Jones like that. That was a really ugly time. This is not quite as ugly. This is much more professional. True or false? Connor's retirement is as permanent as each and every one of BJ's pens. BJ Pens' retirement, maybe. This is from Colin Coward, you said? Let's hear this. believe he'll fight again for you in the next year i do <laughs> will he retain his belt or be stripped well that's the thing the thing is connor needs to clear up this whole retirement thing and clear it up fast because 
if he's retired, then at UFC 200, Jose Aldo and uh, Frankie Edgar are fighting for the vacant title then. Hmm. If you all think UFC is not leaning on him and they're just going to bend right away, you are sorely mistaken. This is not an organization that does that very easily, man. They bet on themselves early, often, and late. They bet on themselves when it's good, and they bet on themselves when it's bad. When they've got the legal backing to bet on themselves, they bet on themselves hard. If memory serves me right, a lot of people, quote-unquote, hated this rematch. Now the same people are crying because it's off. Well, they're crying because it's off because the biggest star in the sport is leaving. It's not that, like, the fight is off and they're going to put a new one on. Like, he's gone. So it seems entirely reasonable to wonder, like, WTF. Connor retiring is 100% newsworthy, but is anyone else not mad that we're not getting a rematch we never wanted? I mean, I'd rather see him compete than not compete, but sure, I mean, like, the Diaz rematch was weird. Thoughts on the announcement of RDA versus Alvarez for the Fight Pass card? I kind of already addressed that. Here is another thing Dana White said, quote, this is Dana White talking, quote, Connor delivers, but he wasn't planning on delivering this weekend, and I had to pull him. It's what had to be done, White said at the end. I'm telling you, they're not going to bend for this kid. Is this the first time the UFC needs a fighter more than they need UFC? You might think so, and I might think so, but I don't think the UFC thinks so. So, so there we go. I uh, got a couple more minutes here. Let's get through some of these questions if we can. Luke, did Dana create this? Excellent piece with Ariel yesterday. Thank you guys so much for watching. Question, didn't Dana create this monster in Conor McGregor? Uh, in a sense, how many times has Dana said the numbers this kid can bring in, he can do whatever the F he wants? I don't think he ever said that exactly. So why is Dana now upset that he's cashing in on what he said? Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think um, they certainly, you know, didn't uh, get in the way of the, the creation of this monster. They facilitated it, but um, you don't see them backing down here. I, I don't. They're ready to strip them, and they're ready to make 200 without them quickly. And again, it's, I can't say it more often. It's not that I am not sympathetic to his needs. It is not that I am not sympathetic to his cause. None of that, man. I, I, I would love to take his side here, and in many ways, I kind of am. But if I'm asked to game out the future... This is a lot of posturing by UFC, sure. And it's a lot of posturing by McGregor, too. No doubt about it. They will reach a deal. But this idea that they're just going to, like, that they're shaking in their boots about the financial loss this could mean. Seen this movie before, man. And they are not. They are not. And they are not because the other headliners won't act in McGregor's behalf, especially... If it means it's not in their interest, aka, hey, you can be in this headlining role and get the pay-per-view points now. Oh, word. Okay, I'll take that. If that's the, if that's the choice they have to make, they're not acting in solidarity with him, and I think that will ultimately be, um, I won't say his undoing, but that will bring him back to earth a little bit. Marcelo Garcia versus Gary Tonin. Well, prime Marcelo. I don't think anyone beats him. But uh, I don't know about Marcelo's all beat up today, man. Let's see. Let's see. 
can we get some EBI coverage on the Monday morning analyst? No, we can't because I've tried analysis of jujitsu stuff before. And unless you're really hardcore about it, no one really cares. Now you guys care about it in MMA context. It's an MMA podcast. I don't know how else to do it. You know, you guys just don't care about this. And you guys, you might care, Sean Bradley 11, but the numbers are pretty clear about this one. So there you go. Uh, Hawaiian fighters and Reebok kits. We'll probably end on this one. Luke, I'm Brazilian, so I apologize if I'm being ignorant about this matter. It's okay. You're not. But don't ask me how or why. I noticed that Hawaiian fighters, Max Holloway, Yancey Medeiros, and Travis Brown, use the, quote, universal Reebok kit, silver details on shorts, and no American flag on the shirt. Is this, is this just a coincidence, or is there some historical political conflict behind this choice? something like a Scottish fighter refusing to wear the UK colors. It's not too dissimilar from that. So um, I'm not an expert on um, Hawaiian history, but they were the last state to be added uh, to the union. We had uh, Alaska and um, Hawaii were the 49th and then respectively the 50th. Well, Alaska first and then Hawaii. Um, I believe 1959 or 1960. Cannot remember. Whatever the case, right around then. Um but like the history of Hawaii is is really kind of effed up. Uh, America just took it in the late nineteenth century uh, and declared it like a province, a territory, uh, not too dissimilar from what Puerto Rico is. And then over time, they were like, you know, this is real strategic advantage for us for different uh, trading commodities like uh, uh, sugar, right? And then um, you know, after well, before, but then especially during World War II, it had a well, even before that, it had strategic military importance, but then definitely by World War II, it had a ton of military importance. And so eventually they were like, we'll just make you a state. Um, and I'm not saying that they haven't benefited from that in some capacity. I'm not saying that um, um, there's hostility to mainland in, 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 in ways that maybe there would be hostility for Puerto Rico because they're still not quite, um, they, don't, they don't garner some of the same benefits of being a state, uh, being just a territory, right? They're bankrupt as F. But... Um, but I think there is still, just to answer the question, I think there's still like an independent streak that runs through the islands that they see themselves as, um, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't think they're, in, I mean, it's a tourist destination. They don't, they're not hostile to other Americans, but they definitely have a proud independent streak that, you know, comes under Polynesian history and um, good on them. They should. It's a very proud one and it's a very awesome one. And, you know, in a way it makes America better that we have them, but I can understand why, um, they would want to have the universal one or one specific to Hawaii. Hawaii is not like Virginia. Um, it is a very different and interesting and unusual place. And their history is very unique in that regard. So, um, yeah, I get it. All right. Uh, okay. I'm over time. I got to go get a flight donkeys. So if you guys see me in Las Vegas, come say hi. I'm on Snapchat, the Luke Thomas 79. Get at me on there. Um, I got to go get on a bird right now and uh so that's what i'm gonna do thank you so much for watching give it a thumbs up share this whenever you see it uh on social media wherever you can just let folks know about it I really appreciate it subscribe to us on itunes.com slash promotional malpractice and until next time stay frosty